Hello once again, friends. Did you miss me? Mark Schofield here with you on episode 56 of The Sco Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. I am back after a somewhat unexpected holiday absence. I had planned to do shows for Wednesday and Thursday, but look, the spirit of the season, the bustle of the holidays, whatever you want to call it, kept me away. little real life kept me away, but we're back just in time for the weekend and just in time for the final week of the 2019-2020 NFL season. Today's show, it's going to be a quick and dirty one because it's, again, it's Friday, it's the holidays. I know people are still busy. Hopefully you get a chance to catch up with family and friends and have a wonderful holiday, whatever you're celebrating, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Christmas. I hope you're having a great time. What we're going to do today, we're going to talk about what I hope to see in the season finale. We're going to talk about some bowl games to watch today, Friday, because maybe some of you are home from work. We're going to talk a little bit about some personal stuff, believe it or not. But I want to start here. And yeah, you know where to find me, inside the pylon, at Mark Schofield, all that stuff, yada, yada, yada. We don't need the cavalcade and reminders. Let's, let's just get into it. I was spending my Thursday evening at a Winter Lights Festival, Great Seneca Park in Gaithersburg, Maryland, Montgomery County. Some of you I know are in and around the area. Maybe you've been there already. Maybe you haven't. It's always a fun time, but it's crowded. It's packed. You drive. It's one of those you drive through a state park and you're trapped in the car for a while and you're crawling along and you get the family and the kids and screaming and yelling and all sorts of stuff. So it gets to be a bit much, but I'm there and get a chance to check my phone and I see in the Scotia Slack channel that there is a column from USA Today that is getting some attention. And so it's shared by Chuck A. And the column is titled this. It's by a writer for the Palm Beach Post, which probably tells you where things are going. Hal Habib. And the title of this is as follows. Opinion. Bill Belichick will never be in the same class as Don Shula, no matter how many games he wins. And this piece starts as follows. When the fall of 2023 approaches, the drumbeat will begin. Around the midpoint of the season, perhaps sooner, it will be pounded. It's the hype of an NFL record about to be broken, a lifetime achievement type record, not one manufactured by cherry and picking statistics to suit one needs. Yes, four seasons from now, the Dolphins' Don Shuler will no longer be the NFL's all-time winningest coach. His 347 victories, a beacon for all in the profession to aspire to, will be nudged aside by New England's Bill Belichick. It continues, winning is the only thing we've been conditioned to believe, which would mean that to a couple 348 wins by Belichick with his six Super Bowl rings is to squelch any argument in favor of Shula being the best ever. But argue I must, argue I will, argue I do in the name of integrity, honesty, valor, class. Let's be honest, Bill Belichick is a coaching genius, a disciplinarian whose teams are never unprepared, a man who gets the most out of what he has, cold, crusty, and crabby. Don Shula in his prime was all that. Know that Shula wasn't a rule breaker. Shula was, in fact, a rule maker, sitting for years on the NFL's competition committee with an eye toward making the game he loved better. When you think of him, you think 17-0, you think drill sergeant, you think of that stern jaw. But you also think of doing it the right way. That's how this column begins. 
And it goes on to point out, of course, Spygate and Spygate 2.0 and etc., etc., etc. And it quotes from a piece from Edwin Pope back in January of 1996, a columnist for the Miami Herald who wrote, upon Shula's retirement, a lengthy tribute under the headline, Testament to Honor. Describing the immense respect Shula commanded in South Florida, Pope wrote, quote, Shula earned that homage by pushing and holding pro football standards higher than anyone had, by never lying, never seeking unfair advantage, and, most remarkably, seeing nothing remarkable in all that. Truly, Don Shula, a man of the utmost integrity, a man who, had he been alive during a different time, might have been a Templar knight, a keeper of the flame, a guardian of the shield, also a man, according to other websites, such as yourteamcheats.com, a guy that cheated more than the Willingham Patriots. For example, there was Tampergate, which brought Shula to Miami to begin with. He was still the coach of the Baltimore Colts at the end of the 1969 season. Owner Joe Robbie approached him, signed him to a contract, which is cheating. The Dolphins lost a pick in the 1971 draft. And 1972, their perfect season, well... It happened literally right after that. There's also the fact that Shula was named in a 2015 player lawsuit as one of the NFL's head coaches who, quote, engaged in a decades-long conspiracy to keep players on the field without regard for their long-term health. The lawsuit specifically named Shula as one of a number of coaches who warned that players, quote, would be cut from their teams unless they took painkillers and returned to the field. And there was also the fact that in 1986, Buddy Ryan pointed out that Shula was engaged in an illegal tactic of putting 15 men in the huddle, and then sending some players back to the sidelines at the last minute. According to Ryan, this ploy had been, quote, legislated out of the game more than a decade ago, but no action was taken to prevent Shula from using it. He estimated that Miami had done this about 18 times in the course of a game between the two teams, and this was a rule that had been in there since 1975. Again, the guy on the competition committee, who was, as we were told, concerned with nothing but making the game better, not bending the rules, was doing this. There's also what people lovingly call Mudgate. Before the, before the 1983 AFC Championship game between the Dolphins and the Jets, Shula refused to cover the field during a monsoon prior to the game, hoping to create a muddy field, trying to slow down the Jets' offense. The Dolphins won the game 14-0. Jets head coach Walt Michaels was quoted after the game, the only thing I know is the rules. I can't understand it. The Constitution of the National Football League requires each team to have a tarp available to protect a team from rain or snow. So this idea that Bill Belichick is somehow going to have a massive asterisk next to his name if and when he passes Don Shula, this idea that Bill Belichick is the guy that has sullied the name of competition, whereas Don Shula was the true protector, the high guardian of honor and integrity in the National Football League. Give me a break with that, okay? Coaches bend the rules. Players bend the rules. Organizations bend the rules. There are no white hats. There are no extra points for doing it with honor and style. 
That's just not the way the league works. That's not the way the world works. And in no way am I sort of saying that Bill Belichick and some of the things that have happened in New England are just to be brushed aside. They were punished. A lot of the things that Don Shula has been accused of never faced any sort of repercussions whatsoever. Obviously, there's a lawsuit that's ongoing, but for Mudgate, nothing happened. And maybe Shula did that because he saw prior to that game, the Patriots used the snowplow. And Shula lost his mind after that, said that the league should look into it. And matter of fact, they appealed it to the commissioner at the time when John Smith was able to take advantage of the snowplow and kick a field goal to win a game against the Dolphins. But maybe Shula thought at that point, hey, look, you can't beat him, join him, right? Does that make him the man of high honor? Does it make them the master chief, the high guardian, the ultra commander of integrity and honor? No, it doesn't. So this idea that come 2023 and come Belichick sort of surpassing Don Shula's all-time wins record, that it's going to have an asterisk against it. If you want to put an asterisk against Belichick's name, fine. You put one against Shula's too. And speaking of Shula and the Dolphins, I wasn't going to get that fired up about this game, but this column now has me wanting New England to lay a 50-burger on this team on Sunday. Now, honestly, all I really want to see on Sunday when these teams square off 1 p.m. Eastern at Gillette, at Fox, in Foxborough, is a team that is crisp, is efficient, and gets in and out of this game with a win, with people healthy, and I want to see Tom Brady sitting on the sidelines, yucking it up with Chase Winovich come third quarter. I want to see a lot of Jared Stidham. If that requires them to hand 50 on these guys, then do it. Because we know this team needs this bye. We know this team needs that week. So lock down that bye. This is a Dolphins team that is playing hard under Brian Flores. You know, we've seen them come out and surpass expectations. We've seen them sort of in a way fail at the tank for Tua, fail at the bungle for Burrow, fail at the yuck it up for Yun. Because this is a team that, well, look, you might have thought going into this year they were going to lay it down go 0-15, 0-16, but no, they're 4-11 and they're playing hard. They're playing hard on Brian Flores. And look, Ryan Fitzpatrick, say what you want about him. He can still make some things happen. This is a team that, yes, it took overtime against the Bengals last week, but put up over 500 yards of total offense. 406 of that through the air. It's a team that, look, they beat Philly. They won at Indy. They beat the Jets. It's obviously a team in the Miami Dolphins that you can't take for granted. You can't sharpie this W just yet. But the thing that will so many times define a season is not the games you win, where you might be an underdog or the tough games that you win because the teams are evenly matched. It's taking care of business when the teams aren't evenly matched. You know, 
Take, for example, that game back in week 13 with the Philadelphia Eagles coming to town. An Eagles team that had absolutely everything to play for, that was in the thick of an NFC East dogfight. They couldn't get it done. And so we'll see what the New England Patriots do, you know, in a similar situation where they've got some things to play for. They've got that first round buy that they need. Will they be able to get it done? This is a a team in the Dolphins that look, in terms of points per game, you know, they're dead last on the defensive side of the ball. In terms of yards per game, they're dead last on the defensive side of the ball. You know, you could look at sort of any number of statistics. You know, they're giving up. They've given up 470 points this season. Most in the league by a long shot. They've given up 6.0 yards per offensive play. Only the Bengals at 6.1 and the Jaguars at 6.1 are worse. In terms of expected points contributed by their defense, minus 168.73. Second worst in the league. Only the Raiders have a worst defense by that metric. And you can say what you want about DVOA. Look, it was pointed out that by Aaron Schatz himself that DVOA loves the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas now fighting for their playoff lives. But Miami... They moved all the way to 30 from 32 after their win last week in DVOA. Dead last in defensive DVOA with a positive 22.8. By comparison's sake, the best team in defensive DVOA is New England with a minus 29.2%. This is a game that the Patriots should win. Whether they do that remains to be seen. But what I want to see is a clean, efficient game that has Tom Brady yucking it up on the sidelines by the third quarter. So that's what I want to see Saturday. That's I mean, Sunday, that's what I had to say about that column in USA Today. Up next, we're going to talk a little college because, look, we've got some bowl games on Friday and then the big one Saturday. I'll address the Saturday games and Pat's Pulpit Radio Rewind on Saturday morning. But I did want to talk about some players to watch, some scouting stuff for the Friday games. That's ahead on episode 56 of The Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on this special Friday installment of The Sco Show. And let's talk some bowl games because we get five bowl games today on Friday. They kick off at noon. So by the time you get around to listen to this, maybe it's a lunch break thing for you. We might have the first game of the day kicking off. And so if you got a chance to watch some of these games, if you're home and you just sitting around, nothing to do, flipping channels. Here are some players in the five games today that you might want to watch, keep an eye on, from sort of a Patriots scouting perspective. We'll kick it off. Game down the street from me, Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis at the U.S. Naval Academy. The military parole brought to you by Northrop Grumman, North Carolina versus Temple. Some trench players, some edge players to watch for North Carolina defensive lineman Jason Strobridge, who I'll get a chance to see at the Senior Bowl. Somewhat inconsistent player. 6'5", 285. Unique size for a defensive lineman. You know, there's there's sort of a motor 
production question around him. Senior Bowl is going to be huge for him. You know, if he can go down there, if he can win in the 1v1s, if he can show some ability to sort of put together, string together pass rushing moves, if if he could, you know, be more consistent, be better at stopping the run, he might make a name for himself. So you can keep an eye on defensive lineman Jason Strobridge for Temple. They've got a great center in Matt Hennessy. If you're worried at all about David Andrews or depth behind him, this is a guy that could sort of come in and perhaps start day one. Great lateral movement, good quickness, good athleticism. He's added some strength and power. So this guy is a player to watch. And then Quincy Roche, the edge, a dominant type guy, only a junior. Um, could probably play at base defensive end in the NFL. Could probably be a pass rush specialist early in his career. So you might want to keep an eye on him. That's Quincy Roche, the temple edge defender. Now that game is a noon kick on ESPN. The next game of the day is a 3:20 kick, also on ESPN. The New Era Pinstripe Roll Bowl at Yankee Stadium. It's okay to play a game in Annapolis. It's going to be nice, 50s or so in my neck of the woods. But New York City around the holidays, nah, never quite got the Pinstripe Bowl. But you get Michigan State and Wake Forest, and there's some good talent in this game. You know, it, for example, when you're looking at Wake Forest. It starts with Jamie Newman, the quarterback. He's got potential. 6'4", 230, strong arm, pretty good pocket movement, good downfield accuracy. He's got a year of eligibility left. He struggled a bit down the stretch. Also dealing with a leg injury, so who knows how much time he's going to see if he's going to play at all, but he can slint it. I'd like to see him go back for one more season, but who knows? Carlos Basham, another junior and edge player for Wake Forest. Keep an eye on him, 6'5", 275. Great movement skills. Did sort of disappear at times, so you wonder about that. On Michigan State, Kenny Willekes, the edge player, had a big injury. He was probably going to be an early pick last year, had a big injury, came back for his senior year. Seems to have perhaps lost his step. This is a guy that was Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. Didn't quite put up that production, but he's got some good pass rushing moves off the edge. Could be one of those players that slides because of injury concerns, and Belichick's been known to perhaps take a chance on guys like that. Raquan Williams, a defensive tackle. Look, he's a run stuffer. Six foot four, three oh three, great length on the inside. Look, he he can play as well. So keep an eye on those guys. Again, that's the pinstripe ball at three twenty. At 6.05, you get the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M. Again, that's a 6.45 kick on ESPN. Some players in this game, Shubda Hubbard, the running back from Canada. Tremendously explosive guy. Great burst, great speed. Home run hitter type guy. It's a deep running back class, but look, he's a day two guy. Courtney Davis, the wide receiver for Texas A&M. They move him around. He's sort of the LaVisca Chenault type player. They'll put him in the slot. They'll put him on sweeps and screens, good routes, good body control. He's sort of the poor man's, I'd say, LaVisca Chenault. I'd love LaVisca if the Patriots could get him in the first. I know you're going to double down on a first-round wide receiver, but Chenault is great. Davis, later on day two, might be a nice little you know, consolation prize. So that's the Texas Bowl. 
some players to watch there. Then we get into the nighttime hour, the holiday ball, which historically has been sort of a game with a ton of points, but you're getting USC and Iowa. You know, so I don't think you can really expect a ton of points, but you're going to get Nate Stanley. Always like to watch a quarterback. Stanley's somebody that's going to get some attention. Wouldn't surprise me if we hear Senior Bowl invite for him. You get Tristan Wirfs, the offensive tackle. Really big, strong guy. Move to left tackle, 6'5", 322. Could throw people off the club. Could go in the top 10. Then they get the edge, AJ Epinesa. Big guy. I wasn't blown away by him. I know people love him, but when I watched him for some of the work I was doing for the Rivals Network in Minnesota, it seemed like he would disappear at times. I thought he was going to be better, but I only saw him really early in the season. I didn't get a chance to watch some of his late season tape. Seems to be better late in the season. So people are still excited about him. You're hearing sort of early first round on him. So he could be a stud. You're going to want to watch him. And then USC, Austin Jackson, the offensive tackle, a junior. He could go back, but 6'6", 3'10". NFL already seems to love him. And that's going to be a great matchup to watch with Jackson and Epinesa. That could be fantastic. So that's in the Holiday Bowl. And it ends the Cheez-Its Bowl. I've seen Pat McAfee tweeting about this. I've seen Drew Bledsoe tweeting about it because you get Air Force, Washington State, and you know where I'm going with this, Anthony Gordon. He's already got a Senior Bowl invite. I'm a big fan. People say that his mechanics are a mess, his footwork's a mess, he leans back on occasion, he throws off his back foot. I get a kid that wants to be Mahomes' vibe from him. I'm not saying the talent is there. But he's an intriguing quarterback. I can't wait to see him at the Senior Bowl. And so that's the game. It's a 10-15, the Cheez-Its Bowl, Air Force, Washington State, Anthony Gordon. So you know, those are some of the players that I'll sort of be keeping an eye on as Friday's bowl games get ongoing. And that brings us to sort of where I wanted to end this show. I really, like I said, I wanted to do this in the Wednesday, the Christmas Day show, but because of other things playing Santa and whatnot. I didn't get a chance to do a show until now. And I'm a very emotional guy. I wear my heart and my emotions on my sleeve. I've been very open with sort of some of my struggles with anxiety and depression and things like that. And you now I've been very open and honest about how this new career of mine has sort of saved me from a from a very dark place. And the holidays are somewhat of a reminder of that because – you know, I'm someone that loves Christmas. I love this season. I love making cookies and being with friends and family and giving gifts to my loved ones and things like that. And the joy and the happiness that I get from that used to be diminished, used to be minimized in a massive way because of the darkness of my mind, because of the anxieties of the practice of law, the stressors and all the other things that came with that, the things that I was struggling with. And so I was reminded this holiday season of that weight being lifted off of my shoulders because of this new job, because of this new career. And it's because of you. Because let's face it, if I don't have people to listen to the show, if I don't have people to follow the work online or read the articles or things like that, then it's not working for me and I got to go back to that life. 
And that life was dark. That life was dreary. That life had a bad ending at the end of that road. I know this. You know, I haven't shied away from the fact that that prior life was leading me probably to an early grave. And I got out of it. And yes, there have still been some struggles along the way. Yes, there are still the insecurities that come up from time to time when I'll log on to Twitter and I'll read something from another writer and just be like, man, I wish I could write that well. Or I'll listen to somebody's podcast and be like, I can never be that good at this. Or I'll see somebody break down some game film and I'll get insanely jealous because it's like, yeah, I do that, but not that well. But at the same time, I can live with that. Like I can handle that because I throw myself back into film. I throw myself back into an article. I throw myself back in front of the screen and I work through it. But I wasn't always that way. And so this holiday season, again, I am more thankful than ever that I have people like you listeners and readers and those of you in the Slack channel and everywhere around the world that have given me this lease on life, this new lease on life. And so honestly, from the bottom of my heart, on behalf of myself, on behalf of my family, I cannot thank each and every one of you enough for the new gift you've given me. And so I just wanted to take a couple of moments and remind you all just how much you all mean to me. We had recently a member of the sports community, a a broadcaster and writer and journalist for ESPN, pass away suddenly and unexpectedly in his mid-30s. He was engaged. He wasn't even married yet. And the outpouring of support is warranted. It's an emotional time. And it's another reminder that this life is so short. We get one drive. You get one game in this thing we call life. And I got a new lease on it, thanks to all of you. And I appreciate that so much. Every single day of my life, and especially right now, when I get that joy back in the holiday season and it's not overshadowed by everything else, and I can just appreciate it. And so this time that I had away, I cherished it, and I was able to do that because of all of you. And so from the bottom of my heart, on behalf of my family, thank you so much. I know that's a little heavy on a way to end it, but I didn't want you guys to go, you know, another episode without hearing that from me. Until next time, friends, please keep on blessing that Patriots reign down in Baltimore.